morning, uh, just seeing everybody's wonderful, beautiful faces. Uh, I'm just so pumped up. That time together this morning and uh, just our worship and everything leading up to this point, just hearing from Dan, it's been so encouraging. Uh, and just, man, I, I really believe God wants to do something here today. Um, as we begin, I just want to let everybody here know that um, this was a tough message for me. Like in preparation, just kind of working through it. Not only am I here just presenting something that I really believe God wants to do in every single person's uh, life and heart today, this morning, he was doing stuff in me. And it's, it's like, man, like, how do I organize this and frame this in such a way that's compelling, but at the same time, you know, is, is convicting. And so really what I want to do right now is just pray, just pray that God's going to re- reach us right here, connect with us, meet us in this very place. God, we thank you just for who you are. God, your goodness, your faithfulness. God, we know that you're in the process of moving people from point A to point B. And God, we, all of us in this room, are, are somewhere in that process, God. And I just pray right now that you would, you would meet us right where we're at. God, you'd connect with us, you'd convict us, you'd, you'd work in people's hearts this morning. And God, we just pray that your word would be opened and illuminated into people's uh, hearts and minds. God, we thank you, we love you, in your name, amen. All right, so we're uh, continuing our series called One. Uh, you think about that idea, the whole idea of oneness, it's kind of a big topic. And honestly, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, where do I even start? Because it's almost like the question, how do you eat an elephant, right? Does anyone know that? That's an analogy or kind of a, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You just kind of dig into it, right? It's kind of gross and morbid, but... It's a, good, it's a good way to convey like this whole idea of oneness. It's such a big concept, a big idea, but it's something that God wants to make very real and personal in every single one of our lives this morning. So one of the things uh, that we need to first understand is that oneness creates synergy that maximizes our purpose. Oneness creates synergy that maximizes our purpose. Uh, frankly, when I saw that word... Synergy, I was like, oh man, here we go, mid-2000s, like, you know, business conferences, everyone getting all hyped up, red Kool-Aid, synergy guys, come on, here we go, you know, just everybody getting all pumped, and there's like, uh, I don't know if you remember those motivational posters, uh, like the, they have like a word on them, it's kind of a description with like a, a cute little picture, uh, well, one of them that I thought was really funny was uh, this whole idea, it's actually today's topic, one plus one equals three. Uh, It's a motivational poster here. It's a picture of a sonogram, right? Sometimes one plus one equals three. My wife and I, when we got married, a couple weeks later, number three comes in the picture. So it's like, hey, that happens, that's a thing. The synergy, so the whole idea of synergy is that the whole, the finished product is greater than the sum of the parts. So if you're adding stuff up, the end result is always going to be something bigger. So oneness creates a synergy that maximizes our purpose. Uh, Another fun motivational poster here. I just thought this one was really funny. I don't know if you can read it. I'll read it to you. Synergy, why screw up alone when you can take the whole team down with you? Right? Come on, baby. Why screw up alone when you can take the whole team? You have to be in conjunction and working with people, right? That's kind of the whole idea that there's an interaction going on. And hey, like sometimes you take risks and they don't work out and they fall like dominoes. So, you know. In the context of living as one, 
That is where our full purpose is made manifest. When we live as one, when people from different walks of life come together and are one, their purposes explode. Their purpose explodes. You can see this actually played out in John 17. John 17, verse 20 through 23. We actually read this last week. It says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's kind of crazy. Jesus is actually praying for you and for me in this verse. He's praying for his disciples, but he's also praying for anybody who's going to receive the word through them. Right? That they may all be one. Not only just us in this room being one, but our connection to previous generations would also be one. That's what he's saying right there. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'll get back to that so that in a minute. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be perfectly, become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That word, that uh, conjunction there, so that, it's huge. It's huge. Those are purpose statements, right? Those are purpose statements. Jesus, through this whole dialogue or this whole prayer, he's praying that the disciples would be one, that all future believers would be one, so that. It's not just oneness for the sake of oneness. Do you get that? It's not just, hey, just come together and have a cool service, and then you go your separate ways, and then you do that every single week. It's like, no, there's purpose. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Right? The grand scheme, the greater purpose in all of this is that Jesus' name is made known. That it's His glory is made known across the world, across the earth. That it's made known not only in the big scale, but also in the small scale. In the individual one-on-one relationships, the connection points that we have every single week, that when we're running with other people simultaneously, that ultimately His name is glorified. That's so crazy. That's huge. That's such a big purpose right there. The purpose is made known. Christ gets all the recognition. Now, I want to be clear. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the things that ultimately inhibit our purpose or the purpose that God has for us and the, and the thing that inhibits oneness. Now, I do want to say that uh, this may kind of bring some stuff up in people. Uh, you may kind of be sitting in your seat and like, man, I'm so mad right now. Like, hey, they, I, I'm good. I'm glad. Uh, I had to work through some of this stuff too, and it's, man, it's convicting. It's really convicting. So the two things that stand in the way of oneness, it's very simply, it's selfishness and it's short-term thinking. It's selfishness and it's short-term thinking. Those are the two things that stand in the way 
of us being one, the body of Christ being one, of fulfilling the purpose that God ultimately has for his body, for his church. Take a look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 3. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. By the way, uh, I should clarify this. He says, so if there is, he's kind of saying, there is. Okay? He's not asking the question. He's saying, so if there is, like it's kind of rhetorical. There is encouragement in Christ. There's comfort from love. There's participation in the Spirit. There's affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. There's that word, one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Why is Paul immediately talking about, hey, like, all these great things, being one together, he immediately follows it up with, hey, don't do anything in selfishness or conceit. Because he knows that that's the thing that stands in the way of people being one. It stands in the way of all of these things being played out. It's huge. Selfishness and short-term thinking prevent oneness. There's dozens of examples. Uh, For the sake of our time, I'm only going to go through three. These are kind of more like big-scale examples, so uh, bear with me. Uh, Number one, our economic system. Here's here's an example. Anyone who uh, studies economics, I know Jehu back here, he's getting his master's degree. I actually asked him, I'm like, hey, is my definition on this like totally right? He's like, yep, you're good. I'm like, sweet. That's great. Keynesian economics, it asserts that optimal economic performance, this is kind of on a big scale, right? Optimal economic performance can be achieved when the government intervenes, and it also emphasizes short-term gains over long-term results. So it's like short-term, fix what the problem is before you jump into all the long-term ramifications, right? So uh, an example would be, Uh, Back in 2008, when the housing market dropped, uh, crashed, the economy just tanked, uh, the government intervened and bailed out all the banks, right? It was like a trillion-dollar bailout, okay? That right there is short-term thinking. You're doing what you need to do to ultimately fix the problems as they exist in the moment, but it's not looking toward the long-term ramifications of what that entails, right? It's short-term thinking, So basically, this is uh, what John Maynard Keynes, the guy who came up with this theory, actually says. He says this, In the long run, we are all dead. (laughs) Do you know what he's saying when he says that? He's basically saying, hey, I don't care about the next generation because what matters is right now. That we'll just keep kicking the can down the road, doing whatever we have to do just to make it work right now regardless of what the ramifications are going to be in the future, right? It's not generational thinking at all. Here's, you know, another, there's tons of students in this room. Student loan debt, I just checked it yesterday, is up over uh, $1.5 trillion. It's crazy. $1.5 trillion. It's insane how expensive it is going to school. Uh, There was another thing that actually came out recently. Jonathan uh, gave me an article For the first time ever in history in the United States, there are more people over the age of 60 than there are under the age of 18. Yeah, (laughs) for real, right? 
Now, I don't know about you, but I know that that is going to cause problems. People are going to retire. Their health will degrade. The costs are going to be expensive. I'm not just talking about costs, but the, the, the challenges of having fewer people to replace those in the workplace is going to be a massive issue. Uh, we were talking uh, this week about how uh, coming up, honestly, there's such an incredible opportunity for young people in this country right now. There really is. I was sitting down with uh, Dylan and Jonathan just yesterday, and we were talking about how there are plenty of business owners here in this country who are at the age of retirement. A lot of baby boomers are retiring. They all, many of them own businesses. There's going to be incredible opportunities for young people to step in and work their butts off and be practically gifted entire businesses as a result. I mean, that is unbelievable when you think about it. But then you think about the consequences, right? There's less younger people replacing areas of need. It's just going to cause all kinds of hardship down the road. When debt is increasing, you have less of a, a labor participation, less people working. Man, we're, it's going to be interesting. I'll just say that. It's going to be real interesting. Here's another one. I think uh, it's no coincidence that these two are actually tied together. But abortion. Uh, I'm going to go there. I'm not naive, and I understand that there are, is possibly you know, people here in this room who've had to go through getting an abortion, or who did go through getting an abortion, uh, or know people who did that. Um, and I'm not casting any judgment or condemnation on anybody. I, I want to make that absolutely clear. I'm talking about it on a much larger scale issue. And the very last thing I want to do is, is come off as though I'm judging anyone because really that's just not the case. Three quarters, 75% of abortions are performed because of three reasons. Here they are. Number one, you're not being ready for the responsibility. You're not ready for the responsibility. Number two, not having enough money. And number three, not wanting to adjust life. 75% for those three reasons. Anyone in this room who has kids knows that you have to face all three of those problems, no matter what. Anytime you have kids. It doesn't make a difference whether you feel like you're ready or you're not ready. You have to face every single one of those. My wife and I, uh, when we got uh, married, I mentioned it earlier, two weeks later after we got married, we got pregnant, uh, it's like, oh, hello, okay, this is happening. Um, I was living on uh, financial support. So Call to Greatness, I was working with our campus ministry, Call to Greatness. Each staff member has to raise their salary to uh, support the mission of what they're doing up on campus. And so uh, I was in the process of raising my support. Um, as a single guy living with college students, uh, you know, it's okay, like I can... I can eat ramen, like, it's, it's all good, like, I can, I can make it by, right? And then I get married, okay, I know that, I know I gotta step up my game, I gotta raise more support, I have to, you know, really be pressing in to see what God has for us financially, I know that's gonna come. Oh, and now I'm adding a third person to the mix, a child? Wow. And let me just tell you, that, that summer of raising that funding, it was the most challenging and difficult and stressful 
summer I think I've ever had in my entire life because the stakes were so much higher, right? The stakes changed. It's not just me living on ramen anymore. It's now I have a family to provide for. It's, it's, it, and it's challenging. It's tough. But the solution is not just to exterminate it. Really, it, it's, here's the thing. Abortion is really just a symptom of even a larger issue, and that's just the belief of sexual liberation that happened back in the 60s, the whole sexual revolution. Back in the 60s, there was this idea that personal pleasure is ultimately the goal, right? Interpersonal relationships, uh, interaction between people and families, it's just purely optional. Those are optional things. You don't need it. It's really just about satisfying my needs whenever I want them. And that was really what the goal of of the whole sexual revolution was back in the 60s. But if you think about it, it's putting the picture on yourself. It's just selfishness. It's short-term thinking. It's what it is. It's both. Right? How can my needs be satisfied? How can I experience freedom? I, 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 I. Not we. Right? That is a huge huge problem. Your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. And even if you're not married, that still holds true. It's true. One final example we'll jump into, and uh, it's the church. Not specific. I'm not talking about the church here, not Bluemont Church, but the collective body of believers, the church. The worldwide church. More specifically, the, uh, the American church. There's uh, somewhat of a, a general belief. I grew up with it. Uh, I'm guessing if there's any Christians who are in this room who've you know, come from another church, you may have been brought up under this uh, kind of belief as well, and that is that ultimately our purpose is to get saved, go to heaven one day, because the earth is essentially going to hell in a handbasket. That our, our only hope is to punch our ticket to heaven and just get out of here. Right? You, might have, you may have heard that. I remember a few years ago, uh, coincidentally when I was raising support, uh, I went down to a church uh, in Wichita, I won't say which one it was, and the pastor, the very first thing that came out of his mouth when he stood up to speak was, Our purpose and our goal is ultimately to come to Christ because what we do on earth doesn't matter. Going to heaven is what matters. And I'm just like, dude, what are you saying? Are you kidding me right now? Like, it is just such short-term selfish thinking. There was a a popular book series that uh, I read. I was so into it uh, back in the 90s. And uh, some of you guys might have read it. It's the Left Behind series. You guys ever heard of that book? It's like, man, like, the future, essentially, let me wrap it up for you, okay? The entire book series, which is like, I don't know, it's like 12 books. It's kind of insane. 12 books, right? It's the general idea that at the end of time, when, before Christ returns, we're going to go through this incredible tribulation like nothing we've ever experienced before, and the beginning of the book series starts with the rapture, which basically means that the word rapture it means the snatching away, right? So Jesus is going to come 
and rescue us out of all of the, the, the mayhem that's about to come, then the earth goes to complete waste, everything is going to go to trash, and then we're going to come back down here, and it's going to be amazing. Everything is going to be awesome. Now, uh, here is something that's really unknown, is that this whole idea of the rapture, the, the, the theological concept, the foundation of it, it's relatively new theologically. What I mean by that is, you look throughout all of church history, from the time that Christ died, was buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, until about 1850, that the whole idea of the rapture, or that belief system, nobody believed it. That was not even on anyone's radar of how things were going to play out in the end. The general belief, and this is uh, very much where we stand as a church, uh, I know that there's maybe even some uh, disagreements about how exactly it's all going to play out, but the general consensus among uh, leadership here at Bluemont is that, hey, Christ's church is victorious. We're going to win this thing. We're going to win. That ultimately the kingdoms of the earth are being transformed into the kingdom of our Savior, of God. That that is going to happen. Of the increase of his government and peace, that's what the book of Isaiah says, there will be no end. It is going to happen that way. So, when you look at at the specifics of it, it's a relatively new theological concept, the rapture, the idea of the rapture, and it was popularized by the very first study Bible, the Schofield Study Bible. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of times, you know, I, I always tell people, listen, like, I want you to question anything that we say to you. Dig into God's Word. See if it matches up. And I would tell that of anybody who's, you know, listening and, and believing. Just read through and, and try, to, uh, try to investigate this for yourself. Now, why do I bring this up? Because ultimately, ideas have consequences, Right? When you believe that the only hope for the church is to ultimately go to heaven one day to be rescued out of the coming destruction, it doesn't encourage you or incite you to be really living for God. Right? This earth is like, man, we're hopeless. We can't do anything about it. You know, some people, honestly, they actually hope things get bad. Like, I've heard people who say, man, I just can't wait for everything just to go, go to trash. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be odd. Like, what is wrong with you? Are you kidding me right now? Like, that's insane. And now as a result, the effects of it, you've kind of seen it over the last 50, 60 years, is the church essentially becoming, uh, in in America, I should say, I want to specify that I'm talking about America. The American church has essentially been uh, completely irrelevant in politics, economics, in, you know, judicial matters, in in the greater issues that we see, in justice, in reform, in all of these things, you're seeing a, a retreat from those because ultimately there's this mentality of spiritual things are more important, I need to focus on getting to heaven, and these physical things, they don't matter. Really, that's what you see. It's short-term thinking. It's selfish thinking. It's not connecting. Ideas have consequences. Jesus uh, prayed for the kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. He prayed for his followers to be one for the purpose of making Christ known. And to demonstrate his love for the world and bring freedom to the oppressed. That's 
the purpose. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he came. And this topic, it's like, man, you just listed massive examples that stretch over generations. The reason why I did that is because, again, I want to go back to that idea. Ideas have consequences. They can start really small, but the ultimate impact spreads, and it's huge. And for us, in order to be one, it starts first and foremost individually with each of us and how we're connecting with people around us. That's where it starts. That's how we can be one. So, think about this. In, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up here in just a minute. How are, you, uh, how are you doing in your marriage? How are you focusing and emphasizing your oneness? How are you living for a greater purpose? How are you making Christ known in your marriage? Maybe in your friendships, in your relationships. How are you making Christ known? And maybe just an exercise this week. I don't even have it listed up here, but an exercise. What are some of the, the things in me, the selfish desires that I have, what are those things that are ultimately preventing the oneness in the relationships I have around me? Right? What are the selfish ambitions or desires that I have that are going to ultimately impact my marriage or my relationship with my parents or my friendships? I think that's, you know, from, I know for me, when I thought about this question, I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what it is. Like, I didn't really have to think about it, because, you know, it's like, man, how do I spend my time? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's, so, that's one of the obvious things, right? It's like a measure of how do you spend your time. It's like, okay, that's, I could see where there's like selfish desires and ambitions that are being, you know, brought up in me. So maybe this week, just kind of pray over those, have a conversation with uh, those close to you about that, and uh, yeah, let's just pray. God, we just thank you so much just for, for meeting us here in this place. God, we pray that you would uh, just, uh, in this coming week, just reveal more of uh, your purpose in the relationships that we have. God, I pray for just a, a greater sense of oneness, not only with, uh, with each other, God, but also with you. God, because it's all about making you known. God, we thank you. Thank you for your time this morning, just uh, uh, coming and meeting us in this very place. In your name, amen.